This podcast is a Majestic Giraffe production. For more information and more content, visit MajesticGiraffe.com. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. are clean, the vaporizers are patched, and the speeders fueled. It's time to pick up some blue milk and power converters. You're listening to Toshi Station Radio, brought to you by the Majestic Giraffe Network. Now here are your hosts for the Snarkiest Podcast in Star Wars and Geek Culture, Brian and Nancy. From the outskirts of Anchorhead and on the shores of the Great Chot Flats, you're listening to Tashi Station Radio, the bright center in the universe for all things Star Wars and geek culture. I'm your host, Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host and wife, Nancy. Hi! On today's episode, we're chatting with Pablo Hidalgo all about the visual dictionary, coffee, and the finer points of caption writing. (laughs) We're about to get started, so sit back, grab some power converters, and enjoy the show. Before we go too much further, a note from our sponsors, Tashi Station Radio is brought to you in part by you, our Patreon subscribers. Uh, Click the link on Tashi-Station.net for more details and learn how you can support the blog and all of our podcasts. And we're also brought to you in part by Her Universe, flaunt your world of Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, Transformers, Doctor Who, and other fandom-inspired wardrobe and jewelry. Click the link on our blog to purchase awesome geek gear and keep the lights running on the podcast. All right. Well, I mean, we've got a really cool interview coming up, so we're going to try and go through this quickly. Yes. Because uh, we already recorded the interview and it went nearly an hour. Yes. Which, lucky you listeners. Yes. <laughs> uh, Fixer Slash, the geeky things we've been up to. Nancy. Uh, I am still reading Ancillary Justice and I am still uh, finishing editing my book. And I am almost done with Caliban's War and getting uh, started... Or getting ready to start Ancillary Justice. I'm very excited to talk about it with you because I don't think we've read a book at the same time that's not Star Wars <sighs> since like the Hunger Games. <laughs> I don't think we even read that at the same time. Yeah, we were we were going through it at the same okay. time. It's been a while then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what's new on the blog, Nancy? Uh, we've got a comic, or re- uh, we've got a Rebels review, Shroud of Darkness. Uh, no comic reviews, because I don't think any came out this week. Um, Saf discussed her time at the Global Game Jam. And uh, Bria posted an article today about uh, Star Wars and the lightsabers of storytelling. All about how the lightsaber fights uh, in The Force Awakens helps with the storytelling in general. And finally, uh, in awesome news that's not you know, Tashi Station. I mean, it is Tashi Station related, but it's not Tashi Station radio related. Uh, We have a new show on our network. Uh, Western Reaches is a new podcast hosted by Megan and Saf. Formerly formerly, of the Forcecast. Yes. uh, You can also catch Saf on uh, Rogue Padron and of Dyson Droids and writing on the blog. Uh, Megan writes for uh, Savudu and uh, several other outfits. And uh, we were really glad that they agreed to uh, you know, do a show on our network. And uh, they're going to talk about all the ge- geeky things they're up to. Uh, Books, Star Wars, video games. Tune in this week for a very in-depth Halo 5 discussion. Yeah. So, yeah, they will be discussing everything. Not And they do discuss Star Wars every week because they're Star Wars fans. But there's more of a general geek uh, discussion. 
So tune yeah, in to Sashi Station for Star Wars. Tune in for Western Reaches for everything yeah, else. Yeah, Western Reaches is very much a geek grab bag, mm-hmm. which yes. is very cool. We've been wanting to launch a show like that here for a while, and uh, we are very, very fortunate to have uh, two hosts of the caliber of Saf and Megan doing this for us. Yeah. And uh, I-, I think it's just time to go into uh, Deke's Dirt. Mm-hmm. We only have one thing. Yes. This is Madness is back. You don't have your uh, soundboard, I so you don't can't have play it, the song. so I can't play the uh, NBA on NBC. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is Madness is StarWars.com's annual character fight. This year, now with more ladies. Yes. Uh, so every year during uh, March Madness, which is the uh, NCAA basketball tournament, they have character matchups. Uh, and this year they're doing uh, 16 light side characters, 16 dark side characters. They fight their way through the brackets and then you have character versus character. So this year they've got the inclusion of several of the Force Awakens characters. And um, there's a lot more ladies than there were last year. And uh, But there's still only 9 out of 32. So... There's room for more. Yeah. Relating to our discussion last week, you know, diversity is getting better. Yay. But there's still room for improvement. Which is fine. Yes. Especially on the dark side, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement there. So come on. Come on, dark side. Get with the program. Catch up, dark side. Catch up. (laughs) Uh, Big's bullshit Star Wars film news. Uh, The Force Awakens got some MTV Movie Award nominations. Yeah, so for all you people upset that uh, Force Awakens didn't get any Oscars, uh, they will probably have more of a chance to win uh, these MTV Awards. I know uh, Daisy Ridley got nominated for a bunch, including Best Hero, which is very cool. Uh, you know, breakthrough performance. I think she got. There's best fight with Ray and Kylo Ren. Uh, it's up for best movie. Um, so yeah. And um, also I saw that the Saturn Awards uh, came out recently, and uh, a lot of people were mad that John Boyega was nominated for best supporting actor and not best actor. They actually changed the nomination. So now he is nominated for Best Actor. Well, that's good. Yeah, after P- a lot of people were uh, annoyed about that. And uh, I-, I agree. He definitely shouldn't have been in the supporting actor category. So he, he uh, John Boyega and Harrison Ford are up for that award. Nancy, I've got some shocking news here. I mean, just <laughs> groundbreaking. Yes. I uh, Brace yourself. You sitting? Sitting down? Mm-hmm. Bob Eager. Talked about the Han Solo standalone movie and confirmed that Chewbacca is in it. What? I know. What? I know. Just earth shattering. That's crazy. I, I, I don't know how we're going to be able to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. I Yeah. I mean, if, if you hadn't told me that Chewbacca was going to be in it, I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, next you next thing they'll talk. They'll say the Millennium Falcon is going to be in it. What? No, Orla- let's not, Orlando. Let's maybe. not go crazy here, right? <laughs> uh, hey, one more note uh, before we switch gears here. Uh, Delray announced that they've got their twenty, their uh, new twenty sixteen twenty sixteen fiction sampler coming out soon. Yes. In previous years, this has been available for free on Amazon. So keep your eyes out. Uh, you're going to be seeing excerpts from Life Debt, from Bloodline. 
and I'm excited. Oh man! Can we get? I uh, cannot wait for Bloodline. I hope that the life death after the life death after the life death. I can't speak. The excerpt from Life Debt has Sinjir in it. Me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. So, what do you say we cut away using the magic of time travel? Okay. We're going to uh, go to a maybe. Yeah. Flo- no. No. <laughs> no. Bad Nancy. No. Uh, we're going to cut away to an interview we did just a little earlier today with Lucasfilm's uh, Pablo Hidalgo, a uh, member of the story group and author of the Star Wars The Force Awakens Visual Dictionary and noted coffee connoisseur. <laughs> so we'll see you on the other side. Bye. So long. Hey, we are here with Pablo Hidalgo, who's the author of The Force Awakens Visual Dictionary and also creative executive of story development at Lucasfilm. Thanks for joining us, Pablo. Thanks for having me, Nancy. We have been wanting to have you on for a long time, so we're really glad to finally make that happen. Oh, well, I'm glad uh, DK was able to set this up. Yep. So whenever we have guests on the show, we always ask uh, the same first question to everyone, which is, how did you become a Star Wars fan? Uh, By virtue of being born in the (laughs) 70s. You know, you you just couldn't escape it. If you were a kid in the late 70s, early 80s, it was just basically the dynamic it's it's what it what it meant to be a kid in that time frame uh, didn't matter if you saw the movies or not because people in your neighborhood would have the toys or they had the comic books or the trading cards or whatever so you just could not escape it it was it was not until star wars basically got quiet in the late 80s uh that i sort of took stock and realized hey i am a fan because i'm keeping this fire going when everyone else had kind of moved on to other things so uh, can you tell us how you started working for Lucasfilm and uh, the various uh, positions you've had at the company? Because it seems like it's been several over the years. Yeah, I've been there for 16 years now. Is that right? Yeah, 16 years. And um, I started as a freelancer for one of the publishers of uh, uh, one of the licensees. It was West End Games. They published the Star Wars role-playing game. And I got in with them at a really opportune time when you could actually get your foot in the door. And that was like in the... Uh, early to mid 90s, I started writing for the Star Wars Adventure Journal on the role playing game. And because of that, my path crossed with Steve Sansweet, who was working on his original Star Wars encyclopedia back in 90, I guess it would have been around 96, 97. I've still that, got my copy uh, sitting on the bookshelf. <laughs> I love that thing to pieces. <laughs> yeah, so that came out in 98, I think. And uh, so I'd kind of made myself known to Steve, and, and we'd worked out a a good sort of uh, a relationship working on that book. So fast forward to, I think it was fall of 99 episode one had come out. Star Wars was back in a big way. And I saw a job posting on lucasfilm.com for a content developer for their online team. And I applied for it, got the job and I started in February. So initially I started as a writer for StarWars.com, eventually became sort of the editorial manager of the site. Then I transitioned out of that and started working with the PR team for a while. So I was brand communications manager. And then when this whole new future of Star Wars kind of kicked off in 2012, uh, I was brought into the development group, the story group. And uh, got to say, I'm pretty happy with where I am right now <laughs> as a Star Wars fan. I've I got ima- no complaints. So. I can imagine. So you... <laughs> That's cool because you basically started like when the prequels were really getting, you know, coming coming out in the theater. So it seems like you've been seeing everything that has happened in the past. 
16 yeah, or so years. It was a very busy time. I mean, episode one had come out, so I, I missed the making of that, but I was right in there when it was coming to home video and episode two was really ramping up for production. So basically everything Lucasfilm has done since 2000, I've, I've been witness to it from a very unique and, uh, you know, great ringside position to see all this stuff come together. Yeah. And, uh, those, uh, tweets you sent out a few days ago about the West End game style guide, those were really cool. And they kind of made me remember you know, the early days of the expanded universe. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I remember these. (laughs) Oh yeah. That, that was a, I've gotten so many people asking, Oh, can you put that online? I'm like, well, no, (laughs) it's, it's, it's mine. (laughs) But that said, it's not super secret. I'm surprised it hasn't been online, uh, before because it was, um, it was something that West End would have given to any of their freelancers. So I'm not the only person in the world who has this thing. And and my reticence really is just I don't have time to scan this thing. Uh, yeah. If we ever had interns, allegedly, <laughs> that feels like something I should get an intern to do. Because I, just, uh, but the, I've had it on my like I, in some format uh, on my desk for years and years and years. And, and a few years back, when we were, like I said, when when we refocused on getting Star Wars back in the public in a big way, uh, one of the things that my boss Kiri had me do is just basically take a stab at doing sort of Star Wars writer's guide. And you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't be surprised how much I referenced that, that, that uh, example because uh, there were a lot of great lessons in there. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember having conversations with John Jackson Miller about this too because we have the same kind of philosophy when it comes to writing Star Wars. Uh, and a lot of it is like you treat Star Wars, you treat the universe like a national park. You, know? you, 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 you find what kind of story you're doing and what, how impactful that story is absolutely needs to be and if it doesn't need to shake things up then you kind of treat your surroundings with uh with respect so that you're not trotting and and knocking things over and preventing other people from doing something without a good reason yeah i remember um he did a panel at celebration and it was about writing uh tie-in media and star wars and the a lot of the things he said seemed like they came right out of that guide (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i think there, there's an art to writing in a shared universe, and uh, some people have a, an instinctive sense of it, and I, I'd say uh, John Jackson Miller is one of those people. Mm-hmm. So you've written several reference books, both in Star Wars and other fandoms, and um, just wondering, what was the first book that you worked on, and how did uh, you said that's how you kind of got started? You were working at uh, West End Games, but as far as like the the actual like singular reference books, like which, which one was that the encyclopedia that you'd worked on the first one? Uh, the first one. Yeah. I mean, I, I was one of the readers, one of the early readers for, um, uh, for Steve on his, on that initial first edition encyclopedia. So, uh, I mean, it's, it was an uncredited help. He did thank me in the acknowledgements, but this was, it's, it's interesting to take a look at those people because I mean, I was there, Dan Wallace was there as well. Oh, wow. Uh, we were like this initial group of, of, uh, Star Wars nerds that just helped people with these initial passes. <laughs> uh, and then like the first piece of publishing outside of the role-playing game, boy, that, that's tough. Going back, I want to say it was actually helping Steve out on the Star Wars Chronicles prequel edition, which was this big, lavish, expensive uh, coffee table book that was filled with sort of behind the scenes and reference photography of everything from episodes one, two, and three. It was a companion to the Star Wars Chronicles, this amazing book that came out in the 90s. 
originally out of Japan and then published by Chronicle. That was just like this. It was it was at the time. It because it's it's much more common now. But at the time, uh, I, I remember it being a kid in the '90s or you know, a teenager in the '90s, and I knew that this $200 book existed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so hard to justify buying a $200 book. Now, as the Star Wars generation has aged, there's much more luxury product like this. So there have been high-end books. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to work on them because then it means I didn't have to actually go out and buy them. <laughs> I, I, would get, I would get an author's copy of uh, you know that, that Chronicle book or the uh, second edition encyclopedia, which is the big three-volume, 11-pound set. Or the uh, Sculpting a Galaxy, I was an editor on that one, which was Lauren Peterson's book. And there was this was the, uh, uh, I think it was Inside Editions. They did a deluxe version that actually came with a model of the Luke's Land Speeder and a section of the Lenny Falcon and, and a tile from the Death Star. So it was these, these high-end books as luxury items like this is something that's been more or less a recent development. And, um, and I was involved in a lot of those things. And then on the flip side, you had more of the kid stuff, the head-to-head books and the, mm-hmm. I think the thumb, the thumb lightsaber thumb, thumb fighting one. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it straddles all ends of the spectrum, really. So we, we might be asking you to pick a favorite child here, but do you have a favorite uh, book you've worked on? That's tough. I mean, it's usually whatever last came out because the, the memories are fresh on that thing. So, uh... It's tough. I mean, I'm really proud of the Essential Readers Companion. Um, that seemed like an impossible task, and it was a sole authorship. Like um, the previous, the, the last big thing before that was the Star Wars Encyclopedia, and I did that with Steve and Dan Wallace and Bob Vitus and Mary Franklin, and like it was like a big team putting all that together. Uh, Chris Cassidy as well, I believe, and and um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone because it was such. It took a village to make that encyclopedia. Uh, so the inci- so the readers, essential readers companion, was also a big, sizable project. But I would have like the sole authorship on it, so it felt like more of my baby, and I could totally be proud of the way it turned out. Uh, and I really got to ask, uh, thank uh, Erich from from Del Rey for his his stewardship in getting that project out the door because um, it was a big one, and we got it done in time, and it it turned out great. Yeah, that actually is a good segue because that was uh, our next question. Because I think Brian and I agree that that's our one of our favorite reference books that's out there. And first of all, I don't know how you went and read every book, so bless you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, obviously, the thing that I loved about it, it was like a trip down memory lane. And even the books I didn't actually read myself, I remembered when they came out and like what... Mm-hmm what people's reactions to it were. So, you know, were, were there any books that when you were going through and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that one, you know, or like that you had fond memories of or just books you've always loved? Oh, totally. I mean, I, I've made no secret that my favorite be-all and end-all expanded universe books are the Brian Daly Han Solo novels. Mm-hmm. And like I read them fairly regularly. And so it did not come as a surprise as to, gee, I wonder if this holds up. Yeah, it absolutely does hold up. Uh, but then there were books that I just hadn't visited in a while, and I'm wondering – I don't know if they didn't make as much an impression the first time around, but then reading them again just uh, just reinforced how special they were. And um, like I, I really enjoyed the uh, um, the MedStar duology 
the second time around. I don't know why. It just it, it just was clearer this time around how different it was. And I think that was part of it. I think um, initially a book that may have felt odd for being different, now I was able to appreciate it for being different simply because I was in the process of reading everything. Yeah. So, it's, so it's the stuff that's different that stood out more, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also – it was an exercise. One of the key indicators to me that I'm really digging a book is how fast I go through it. Uh-huh. Uh, if it takes me a fair amount of time, it's like, okay, clearly there's something about this that feels like work because I'm either putting it off or I'm not going through it as quickly as I, as I wish that I would, right? And so this time around, I, when, when you had everything stacked back to back like that, the ones that I tore through quickly, I realized, whoa, that one must have been something special because I just devoured it. So I'm thinking of Paul Kemp's uh, Deceived book. That one I just inhaled. <laughs> you know, I tore through it so quickly yeah. and it's like you That's stop and realize. That's the old Republic book, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I realize, like that one. I realized like, yeah, that is quite literally a page turner because I <laughs> went through it so quickly. Yeah, I, I, had a, I had a similar thing to that. I think like after the prequels came out I decided to go back and read the Thrawn trilogy and I hadn't read them in years and I was like oh are they gonna hold up after the prequels and it was like really surprising I'm like oh yeah there's all these contradictions now but I don't care about them <laughs> anymore and uh you know I I liked going through the the chronology and seeing like when the books came out because you can kind of see like the history of Star Wars based on when the books came out yeah, I thought that was an important thing to keep in there because, you know, we conceded initially that it was going to be in a in a suggested chronological reading order, which honestly is not the way I approach things. My I'm a big advocate of read the material in the order that it was published, yes, right? Yes. Like <laughs> like the first if let's if you've never read Dune, the Dune books, what's the first book you should read? You shouldn't read Prelude to Dune, you should read Dune. Like that's the book <laughs> everyone like that's the book that started it, right? So uh, I'm usually not an advocate of chronological uh, either read-throughs or viewings of stuff. But that said, you know, I know that there's an audience for that. And uh, so we did that. But, you know, I'm glad we were able to to sort of break the voice and have these behind-the-scenes sections that would call out relevant information about the time and, and you know, where we were in the history of Star Wars when that book came out. So it must have been an absolute blast seeing the mountain of artwork that was created for that book. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and in some cases, uh, I was Eric indulged me and I, I would send sketches and thumbnails of what I think this scene would like, look like or <laughs> I'd love to see something like this. And in some cases, that art was actually translated quite faithfully into the finished product. Uh, but it was fantastic. I always like seeing you know, art applied to something that is just – it only exists in the in imagination um, and being able to get it out into the world like that. Yeah, I remember at Celebration 6 – uh, we were at the Delray booth and Arish let us look through in one of the copies of the chronology and we're all just standing around there looking at the art going, ooh, look at that picture. Ooh, look at that picture. I think my favorite one was there is a picture and it was of Luke and Callista and Mara and it was like, Luke? Or they welcome Callista onto the ship and I was like, oh my god, that caption is the best thing. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the one I like, it, it was, I think it was from Darksaber. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll be honest, Darksaber is not my favorite book, but <laughs> it produced some of the best artwork in this, in this, uh, in that book, in the Essential uh, Reader's Companion. So yeah. look up that entry and you'll find some of the pieces <laughs> okay. that I'm, I'm referencing. 
So, uh, so the visual dictionary, first of all, we both loved it. And, uh, we actually, I wasn't planning to buy it. And then I flipped through it in the store the next day the, on December 18th. And I, you know, got to the Poe page and I was like, Brian took it out of my hands. and went to the cash register to buy it. <laughs> so, um, so how did you get assigned to the visual dictionary? I would imagine a lot of it was due to just your being involved in, you know, the force awakens and knowing what the story was going to be. That's exactly it. I mean, um, there, there were a number of factors that fell into it. I, I had worked with DK before. I, I had done some projects with them, including the year-by-year book. So I knew the editorial team and I knew the folks there. So um, there was no introduction involved there. But a lot of it had to do with the schedule. We knew that you know the, the schedule was pretty tight. The schedule is always tight in publishing. There's, never, <laughs> there's no such thing as, oh, we had a lot of time to do the Star Wars book. <laughs> it's like you know, <laughs> you're always hitting the ground running on these things. So schedule was tight and security was a, a factor. You know, everyone was was concerned about certain plot points not getting out in the world before, you know, uh, the movie. And publishing was affected by that because they did not want these files sitting at a publisher where they could be compromised by, you know, a lack of security there. So the conversation turned to how much, how, how can we get someone who knows this material and can be trusted with security, and so we, you know, we don't have to get the script out, or we don't have to get imagery out to, to a larger pool of people than required. So it kind of just fell naturally. Like, well, let's, you know, I could do it. I, I would be the in the prime position to not only um, talk about stuff that was in the movie, but then also authoritatively, knowledgeably expand on stuff that wasn't in the movie. Because I, in addition to knowing what was in the Force Awakens, I knew what would be going in between the gaps, so to speak. Cool. I th- yeah, that kind of ties into the next question, which was the for the writing process for it, like which came first? Did, you know, the artwork come first and then you wrote the information for it? And then also, how did you ex- go about, like, if there was information that just didn't exist, mm-hmm. I imagine you just you just come up with that on your own, right? To some degree, the the way it's the what came first was uh, I sat down with the editors, and they had either read the script or read a synopsis of the movie, so they understood the flow of events. And based on that, we sat down and came out with a page map of what the topics would be. Because if you look at the book, it follows more or less a screen chronological order, mm-hmm. you know. And so we knew that okay, Poe would get a two-page spread here, and this character could get a two-page spread here, and this character would not warrant a two-page spread, but they would be contained within a spread that has X, Y, and Z in it, whatever, right? So that was the first step. We we hammered out what are the big things to be shown in the book. Based on that, the art director on the project went off and did an initial layout of the book with images and um, and in some cases placeholder images. And that's what I wrote to, you know. So basically, I knew that I would have a two-page spread with Poe and his X-wing, and there would be blocks of text to fill in, and and I it would be up to me to fill in that that text. It also was up to me to like the the layout team assigned the callouts themselves, uh, hoping that they would be landing on something interesting. So if you're wondering why I keep referencing everyone's hairstyles, it's because. <laughs> There would always be a call out to a character's head or face. And it's like, I don't know what to write about that. So let me take a crack at, you know, doing something. And then that's, 
that's where all that comes from. Why, like, why, why are, why is there always a call out to a character's head? Because the layout team kind of came up with that and it, you know, it makes a nice uh, balanced image. Uh, (laughs) So that's that. Now, in terms of filling out information that wasn't in the book, a lot of it, I mean, some of that comes from different places. As you may know, us, us in the, in the story group, once we knew what the shape of episode seven was and what that story would contain and also what it wouldn't contain, we then started filling in the backstory of, you know, the 30 years between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Uh, so based on that, we had rough sketches of, of, of the, you know, the history of the universe, the history of the galaxy, the history of the governments, the history of the characters. So I was able to pull some of that information in there. And the advantageous thing about, you know, me being the writer on this and, and working where I do and working with the people that I do, I knew how much of that was locked. I knew how much of that was still in development. So um, I, I knew how much I could put in there and feel confident that it wouldn't change. Because mm-hmm. um, we knew what else is being expanded. We know what else is going to be explored in different media and different formats. So if it's in this book, it was it was more or less being able to gauge, yeah, this isn't going to change. That's part of the foundational element of these characters or elements. Uh, so should they appear in the future, you know, that that's going to be part of them. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned uh, filling in all the backstory because I think one of the first things I said after leaving the theater was, I need 30 years of books right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, we've been kind of – I mean we, we've been in such a, a, uh, a spoiled position in that all our storytelling – the bulk of our major storytelling has, has taken place in a past where uh, a lot of this has already been you know, supported like – we went back in time for episodes one, two, and three on the Clone Wars. Uh, so there were, you know, we were, we were already filling gaps, and now we're in a position where we've left a big deliberate gap, and, and we're not used to not knowing things. I know. But that's what it was like back in the original trilogy days. You know, it's yep. like we didn't know everything going into the picture, and I think there's this culture shock among Star Wars fans who are used to having <laughs> everything spelled out for them, and it's like we. We can't. There's a good reason why we can't give you this information because it's being held because we we may go there in the future and we we can't fill that in at this point. So let me tell you a story about 1991, kids. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Then you know I feel like the old timers say, "Well, we didn't know who the emperor was when Episode Four came out," and you know it's like he just (laughs) he just gets mentioned in a briefing room sequence and if you were lucky enough to have the novelization you'd know a little bit about him but uh you know you'd have to wait all the way till return of the jedi to get a real good look at him right so yeah so there's a lot of that there's a lot of questions and it's not just to be annoying that i can't tell you these <laughs> because you know things like snoke and and ray's parentage and all these things that we can't talk about we can't talk about it for a reason because answers on those about those subjects should come out in the course of a story right yeah so uh i'd love to know and i'm sure others would do you have some favorite captions or little details you included in the visual dictionary besides pose tousled hair pose tousled hair my favorite one and i've called this out in a couple of presentations that i did is the uh Again, you know, when I'd get the layout and uh, they would point to something and I'd struggle to come up with something relevant to talk about. And it was it was the Kylo spread <laughs> where they point to his 
finger. And it's like, I've got nothing to say about Kylo's finger. So I just took a stab and wrote accusing finger reinforces unquestioned authority. And I just thought it was funny and, uh, it made it to print. And so it's, I've heard feedback that people just love that kind of ridiculousness. Uh, the one about Han's jacket was a good one. <laughs> I had nothing on that. And also I think it was the yes. second image of Han already in the book. If I remember correctly, that there already was an image of Han where I've said everything I'm going to say about his jacket. And then a couple of pages later, there's an image of Han and Leia together. And there was a call out to his jacket. Yeah, that's right. On page 46, I had already called it a Nerf leather jacket. And then on page uh, 57, a few pages later, mm-hmm. I got a call out to his jacket again. I was like, guys, <laughs> I've got nothing to say about his jacket. And then I remembered the line of dialogue that was in the movie. It's like, well, I'll just put that. That made me laugh really hard. <laughs> so do you have a notebook of rejected caption ideas? <laughs> No, I don't actually. It's sort of, it was always, it was, I wouldn't call it a struggle, but it was enough work to come up with the captions that were in there. So there was very <laughs> little, there wasn't much left on the cutting room floor, as it were. I, um, I, I called this out on Twitter or before, but, uh, my, one of my favorite bits from it is on the Han Solo part. It says, his past exploits are the stuff of legends. I went, ah. <laughs> That's a good yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. Some things you just can't, you know, you can't help but hit. Help. Right? So, uh, so um, I, you kind of already touched on this a little bit before, but since there was so much secrecy going on about The Force Awakens, how exactly did you all decide how much detail to go into? And, you know, the book, even though, you know, it came out the same day of the movie, it really doesn't spoil a ton of huge plot points you know and so i just was wondering how exactly you guys said okay we're going to reveal this much but not all of this yeah the the thinking was following the example set by the other visual dictionaries if it has a time to exist it sort of exists as the movie really starts so we would kind of give you the thought was you get everything, we give you as much about the character that we can give you before the events of the movie actually begin. And in theory, that that's like, that works. I mean, we kind of stretch things a little bit because we, we show you things as you're introduced to them. But that that's the thinking. It's like, it's everything about that character that you would need to know as the events begin in the film or when you first get introduced to them. So we don't go through a chronological retelling of the movie. Mm-hmm. There are other books that were doing that. So we wouldn't get into what actually occurs in the film but you know you would know about something's history before the events started that that was the kind of rule um if you look at the other visual dictionaries they're like that like you would get a two-page spread on darth maul and you find out you know what he has on him who what this character is all about but you wouldn't necessarily find out in the episode one visual dictionary that he gets cut in half by the end of it right so um or what you know specifically he does or how the duel plays out um that was the kind of rule there. Uh, so do you have any favorite pages from the book besides Millicent the Cat? Of course. <laughs> That's a whole other subject. Um, I was really happy with the way uh, we had John Goodson at ILM, one of our, he's a digital artist now, but he, I mean, he's still a model maker. He, he started off in the model shop. And so he built the physical constructions of the new props 
uh, that were created specifically for the book. It's, I'm thinking the cutaways, right? So he did the cutaway of Kylo Ren's lightsaber and the cutaway of BB-8's head and uh, the inside of a TIE fighter pilot's helmet. Uh, those spreads are great to me because it just represents really good collaboration between layout team, artist, uh, and author. Uh, the Kylo Ren lightsaber page I like a lot. And um, I was talking – I've talked about this at a presentation too. And and essentially um, um, John did an initial build of Kylo's lightsaber that was actually off. It, it wasn't what I had in mind or, or what we thought the way it worked. And so he redid it. And the way I was able to explain to him how it should be was actually digging up the clip of Stephen Colbert describing how the lightsaber <laughs> works. Because, it, you know, you'll remember back in, when we first saw this lightsaber in that November, I guess it was November, that initial teaser when we first saw it, the internet just exploded. And then there was all sorts of dissection of why this lightsaber makes no sense, right? And the lightsaber does make sense, but you know, it, it takes a while to think things through. And Stephen, to his credit, was the first person I saw anywhere that thought it through correctly, that, that what the, the, the side blades were sort of exhaust vents, tributary streams from the middle blade, as opposed to entirely separate little mini lightsabers built onto the side of a single lightsaber. And so he, he got it right, and he did this whole little whiteboard diagram explaining how it works. Uh, and I actually – I showed John – I sent John a link to that video, explained that's what we're doing. And I actually cribbed some of the language that Colbert used when he was describing it in the body copy because it's like he's, got, he's right. He's, that's what the thinking was of that lightsaber. So. That's cool. so that's a good example of a good spread that I've been about happy with it turned out. That might be my favorite new bit of a visual dictionary trivia. <laughs> <laughs> so there is one section in particular that I loved, and it was the section with Leia. Um, and, you know, I the, before the movie came out, there was some talk that, you know, J.J. Abrams did a f interview or something, and he talked about, like, why Leia wasn't a Jedi or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in... This little caption, it says how, like, you know, talking about Leia's strength and that Luke speculates that her strength of will is how the force manifests in her. And first of all, it made me cry just thinking about it. <laughs> but because it's like it's so perfect of a way to describe Leia and it's such a throwaway. But I don't think I've anyone ever seen anyone ever actually describe her that way. Did you did that? Was that inspired by just Leia in general, you know, throughout oh the original trilogy or you know force awakens specifically it was it was a bit of everything i mean in going into this new trilogy we had long conversations about who these characters are and how are they represented particularly by the talent that's associated with them right mm -hmm. um that's a that's a thing that the old expanded universe never had to take into account it didn't have to take into account the fact that flesh and blood actors would have to play these future incarnations of these characters right yeah. And you when we got to seven and we're going into seven and we got Leia coming back and we were so lucky and great that everyone you know involved back in the original the leads of the original trilogy were coming back. Uh, you know, we were taking a look at Leia and extrapolating where she was gonna be. And we know the Jedi version of Leia that shows up in you know in some stories of the EU. And it's like I'm hard pressed to say that's who Carrie is. You know? Carrie yeah. The way Carrie and Leia overlap strongest is as survivors. Like Car Carrie has such a strong survivor personality, uh, and so does Leia. And 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 she really, she really 
drives your performance from that part of her. And so I, that's how I, it's like, it seems like a natural that that, that Leia as a strong military leader comes out of Carrie as someone who has such a strong and quick mind, you know? And, uh, but she's also has this wryness to her. I mean, obviously Carrie Fisher is famously hilarious with her, <laughs> with her ability, with her take on things. And, and, I, and I don't, you know, seeing a, a Jedi version of Leia encapsulate all that gets, is harder to imagine than the Leia that we end up seeing in, in uh, episode seven. And then beyond all that, we just talked a lot about how right out the gate, Leia has always been one of the, if not the strongest Star Wars character in terms of strength of will and strength of everything. I mean, you know, she's there uh, as they're escaping the Death Star. She's consoling Luke. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, there's nothing you could have done. Poor kid. It's like, yeah, you saw this mentor die, but it's like her planet was just destroyed in the previous <laughs> reel and no one's there to to tell her, uh, to give her some sort of comfort. And when someone finally does give her comfort, when General Willard says, you know, when you heard about Alderaan, you heard the worst, she immediately puts it aside. It's like, there's no time for our shadows. Yep. That's, the, I know that reminds me of people saying, like, recently a lot of the stories have come out. Why, why did Ray hug Leia? So did, why did not Leia hug Chewie? And I'm like, because Leia consoles people when they're upset. That's what she right. does. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So I know, Brian, you want to ask this yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've got to ask, how did you survive Celebration 6 with a straight face, knowing what was going on? <laughs> oh, man, yeah. That's, uh, I think, <laughs> hard to believe. I sat through the entire, you know, 2012 convention knowing what the future of Star Wars was going to be and not saying a word. <laughs> uh, when we were know. all I'm arguing just... about even PL. Yeah. <laughs> You're just up there thinking you don't even know. Yeah. Have no idea what's coming. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just know that we, that's the reality of things. Like we are always years in advance and, and, you know, there are some things we can talk about, some things we can't. And, uh, and, and the reality is, you know, when people give us feedback and say, well, I wish we could see that and we'll, we'll take it into account. But it's like, in reality, we're, already five ten in some cases you know more beyond that thinking what's going to be coming up in the, in the future so um feedback is always appreciated but know that this is something that we've been working on for a while and and it's only you know it's coming out at the rate that it's coming out so that leads uh, good into our the next question i wanted to ask which was you know again it's probably like asking you to pick a favorite child but as far as everything you know we've seen in the new canon so far do you have any favorite um you know either comics or books or just stories and then looking ahead obviously you know without giving in spoilers or anything but like things that you're really excited to explore and have people read about you know stories that are coming up soon oh absolutely i mean um I, it's, you know, I don't want to pick favorites, but I, I got to say, I'm really, it's been really great to see how well Rebels has been embraced by uh, fans of the show. I mean, Clone Wars took a while for people to warm up to it, and it felt like Rebels got a lot of support right out the gate, which totally appreciate it. And we've covered a lot of, of ground with that show, and it just, honestly, I mean, I, I'm super biased, but I think it keeps getting better and better. And I know what the trajectory of the future storylines goes. And so it's always exciting to see, because again, this is a situation where we're 
in this weird time warp where you're finally seeing episodes that actually kicked off production a couple of years ago. So I'm finally happy to be able to say, oh, I wonder what people will think of this episode. And look, there it is. You know, I've been sitting on this for so long and I enjoy it, right? So Rebels is, is a real cornerstone to a lot of new storytelling that we're doing. And it, it represents a lot of the philosophy of, of how this stuff can work together and, and what it means to engage Star Wars on a regular basis. And what it is we want, you know, kids and, and families to have when they have their Star Wars experience. Uh, so, so I'm really happy with the way that show's turned out and, and it continues to get better and better. In terms of what's coming forward, I mean, obviously I can't talk about it, but I think once Rogue One enters the picture, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, diversify the way we talk about Star Wars. I, I honestly feel like a lot of the debates and arguments about eras, and and you know viewing order and all that stuff is so pedantic now and, <laughs> and, and so irrelevant in this future it's like you know what there the distinction between prequel and classic era is going to become increasingly meaningless it's all star wars and we're and what um rogue one represents is the fact that we could pick any point in the timeline and start telling a story i think a lot of people are hyper focused on what happens next after the events of seven and that's totally understandable but you know, we, we are used, like, we as, as storytellers take the entirety of Star Wars as a, as a canvas and, and look for storytelling opportunities. And it doesn't matter when it takes place. Uh, if there's a story we want to tell and it's the right time to tell it, we'll tell it. So I think people will, I, I'm hoping people will be pleasantly and happily surprised by that notion that, you know, we, we expect you to keep multiple eras in mind and hope to surprise you by where we go next. Yeah, one of the things that I loved is uh, Jason Fry's Servants of the Empire books are some of my favorites from the new canon. And that the last book, The Secret Academy, had a huge connection to The Force Awakens that, that I had no idea it was coming. And I, you know, come turn the page and there's, oh, come on, Hux. And I went, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's stuff like that in, you know, Rebels that is finally starting to surface where, you know, like a uh, it, it felt it wasn't exactly arbitrary, but it's like, you know, in, in the early issues of the Vader comic, you find out that all the Geonosians were extinct. Well, that was because it tied into Rebels and it was in Rebels because it ties into another project. So there's a lot of this this uh, multiple simultaneous story development that's happening. That's just you're finally we're finally now being able to talk about it because we we're, we're at this point. We've released enough entertainment out in the world that you could see examples of it. Yeah. So you are uh, very active on Twitter and you're very patient and at, you interact with fans a lot. What are some of the most common questions that you get about Star Wars? Uh, and, you know, everyone is so super fixated on canon, which is, you know, I, I, I tease because it's like it, it is not the most important element of storytelling, folks, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but people want to know. People want to know. And, and to whatever degree I can answer that in a satisfactory manner, I will. But in some cases, there is no satisfactory answer. It's like people who are, are, are super concerned that the novelization is not a transcript of the movie. And it's like, and there's a reason for that, because that would be boring for one thing. <laughs> and second of all, you know, it's just the process through which novelizations are made. You know, the novelization is locked. Uh, before the final cut of the movie is, is done. So there are always going to be different. Um, and people just don't know how to parse that. And, and it seems odd that you need to have an explanation as to how to parse that because 
again, here I'm going to play the old guy card. It's like, hey, when I was a kid, I had a Star Wars novel that had different scenes from the Star Wars movie. And I understood that to be because it's a novel and the movie is another thing. You know, it, I, it, it didn't um, throw me into a confused tailspin trying to reconcile multiple versions of the same story. So, you know, it's like a lot of it has to do with explaining to people it's okay. It's okay that the novel is different from the movie. <laughs> and it'll be okay when the um, eventual comics adaptation has differences because these are things, you know, that the, what is the canon? The canon is the events that occur in the book. And all those events are always going to be filtered uh, by artistic choices that are tailored to the medium in which they are finally published and appearing. Mm-hmm. So a novelization of an event is going to be talkier than a comic book version of the same event uh, simply because it's a different format. It's a, it's a different book that has different goals to achieve. Um, and, you know, it's okay for, for, <laughs> for Star Wars to be subject to artistic interpretation because it <laughs> is art. You know, we're not making documentaries and we're not making, we're not making pre-written uh, Wikipedia articles, you know, so <laughs> that's, that's not what the storytelling is about. So, um, so a lot of questions are about that. And then we get a lot, you know, I get a lot of questions that I just, I don't think people want answers to, and I don't, I'm not sure why they ask. It's like, you know, what happens in episode eight? It's like, do you really want a <laughs> 140 character tweet to explain to you an, an essential point of this character or event, or do you want to see the movie? So, so, I mean, I, I appreciate it's all coming from a place of enthusiasm. People are super interested. People are invested and that's great. Um, and it's tough because like, I want to give you an answer, even if that answer is, I can't give you an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my cat and my dog in my room now, so if they <laughs> they're all looking at me, so if they're making noise, <laughs> uh, I apologize. Th- that's okay. We regularly get Mar on our microphone, so yeah. it's yeah. it's good. <laughs> uh, so, how was your Star Wars cruise, Pablo? Oh, I loved it. It was my first time. My wife and I, my wife Kristen and I, went on a cruise, the Star Wars Day at Sea cruise back in January, and it was the first time that either of us had ever done anything like that. We never even entertained the notion of ever taking a cruise. Like we don't, we never thought about what that means. How do you, how do you even look into it? So it was a complete sort of gift, an opportunity that fell in our laps. People at, at the Disney Cruise Line asked, hey, can you be a guest at this thing? And I'm like, oh, what does that entail? And I feel almost guilty saying this because it was like the easiest job in the world. It's like I had to do two 20-minute presentations. And in exchange, I got seven days <laughs> of, a, of a luxury cruise line. It's like, yeah, I'll do that. No problem. I, I so, can tell you Jason Fry has been very jealous of yeah. you lately. <laughs> Well, I will put his name as a recommendation. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So, um, and I hear that they're going to do it again. Yep. And I would do it in an instant. Um, it was especially coming in January after, uh, as you may have heard, a very busy December for us. <laughs> at Something goes going on yeah. in December. So we knew like, and it's so funny. We were, we were so busy that we never even had a chance to figure out, well, what we should take a vacation. What's it going to be? And so this vacation basically came pre-bundled, wrapped up with a bow on it. It's like, yeah, let's take that. So it was a great way to recharge. And, you know, to hang out and reconnect with a lot of great Star Wars fans who we met. Um, you know, that people that I'd seen at conventions. Otherwise, it's like, oh, I know you. So yeah. Star Wars is this great sort of like, no matter where you go, it's this family and you'll run into people again. Yeah, we unfortunately probably will not be able to go next year, but I'm hoping they keep doing them every year because we will definitely go. It was it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, just about Star Wars fandom in general. So, you are featured in the Launch Bay 
video that plays in the at the uh, Hollywood Studios in Disneyland. Yes. And um, every time we go see that movie, we end up crying because <laughs> of how you oh. talk about sharing stars with your kids. And like, I do fine. And then it comes to that part. And so I'm like, ah, <laughs> darn you, Pablo. So just what do you think keeps drawing people back to Star Wars? You know, you, you mentioned earlier about how in the late 80s, kind of Star Wars went away, but mm -hmm. then it came back and it hasn't really gone away. Even after the prequels came out, you know, there was not as much interest, but then Clone Wars came out and yeah. a lot of people became fans from that. And now it just seems like it's never going to go mm -hmm. away ever. It's, I mean, to me, the, the appeal to me is that it's a place, you know, there, there are amazing characters and amazing stories being told there, but it really is a place. Uh, and so it doesn't matter who stars in this movie, you know, it doesn't matter who the lead character is. If it's, if you're promising me an ability to visit the Star Wars universe again, uh, I'd sign me up. I'll go. Right. And I think a lot of people, it's easy for people to project themselves and, and go into the Star Wars universe in that way. Cause it doesn't hinge on any one character. There, there are people who do that. Right. Uh, who will, and I, I know you're a big Luke fan. <laughs> And so that will get you into the door and, and, you know, being able to visit that character is a big draw. But for, I think for me, I think part of the difference of Star Wars and from almost any other franchise, uh, and I think that's the space fantasy quality of all is that it, it is a really exciting place full of surprises. Um, you know, I think superheroes, while I love superheroes, they don't offer that as much. It's harder to be excited to go visit the world of Tony Stark because it looks an awful lot like our world, except Tony Stark's in it, you know? And um, it's easier to imagine yourself as a character in the Star Wars universe than maybe someone who works for S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, it's like it's it's easier to imagine the opportunities and the adventures that may await you in a fantasy realm, in a space fantasy realm, than in a, a, a franchise that may be completely built on a single character. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the the ability to imagine yourself as Batman is limited as opposed to imagining yourself as someone in the Star Wars universe who may meet Han or may meet Luke. Um, I, I think that that was part of its, its magic charm. It is a place uh, populated by all these things uh, to experience. Yeah. And even though we, uh, I know a lot of, you know, I joke around a lot about my friends who are big Han fans and will like have, you know, team Han, team Luke. But mm -hmm. in the end it's, you know, we have our interests and, there are different characters that appeal to all of us. And, you know, it's not just that particular character, like you said, but there's a whole bunch of them that we can, you know, find things we like and or relate to. And then the whole story just opens up after that. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could have lengthy discussion as who's the main character of Star Wars and, you know, everyone will see it differently. And I think that's part of its, 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 its multifaceted appeals that the main character is whoever you connect to. Mm -hmm. And it, it's going to be different for different people. And there are kids now that, you know, haven't even seen the original trilogy and they're mm -hmm. huge Star Wars fans. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, to me, you know, I, I love The Force Awakens and it had its primary job. The thing that it, in my mind that its success hinged on was introducing new characters. And the fact that it put these new characters out and they were so instantly, you know, embraced by the world is is testament to everyone who put so much effort into making that movie and and that is the key to its success i find i mean like that's that's the bar 
that's the that's the metric as to whether or not this whole thing this whole endeavor was worth it and the metric is now there are little boys and girls who look to Ray Finn and Poe and see them as their heroes and and characters that they want to live uh, adventures with and explore and that is like the, the that's the measure as to whether or not any of this is worth doing you know very very well put um last question most important question where is andy going to ambush you next (laughs) i will find out i think we're scheduled to shoot again on monday we do this every week and it's always like where are we going to do this where are we going to do this we're running out of spaces we're running out of ridiculous things to run into us doing so uh and you can tell i mean just like if you tried watching these all back to back we're just getting progressively more punch drunk that I don't know where we're going to go with this. But, you know, we have fun and we appreciate that people are having fun with us. So uh, uh, I think uh, the online team does a great job with those. And, oh, yeah. and the fact that it's a, it's a weekly more or less commitment, you know, for, with every episode, uh, it just adds so much value. And it, it's so true. It's like I can't you can't when we run them at Lucasfilm. This is one of the perks, right? With every Rebels, uh, with every episode of Rebels, we get to see it in our really great state-of-the-art screening room so it's the best possible sound the best possible picture and then they play rebels recon right after that so <laughs> you get to see our tomfoolery on the same screen as like these major you know motion pictures uh but people dig it there too so it's, it's been a lot of fun yeah i think i remember um during the star wars cruise i remember i i thought wait pablo's not here what are they gonna do <laughs> and then it had the best answer ever so yeah yeah and we again that's something we hashed out over email it's like hey let's do this like, Are you serious i'm like yeah let's just do it and so we're done, right? so uh thank you so much for coming on we uh had a great time chatting with you and um uh can you let us know uh where people can find you online and also um you know what projects you have coming up that uh, we might keep a lookout for Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm on Twitter. So it's at Pablo Hidalgo, my full name with no spaces. And so I'm there. Um, Not too hard to find. Uh, The other thing that I'm doing non-Star Wars that I've just recently started up with some colleagues, um, with with a current Lucasfilm colleague and a former Lucasfilm colleague, Dan Brooks and and Sean Haberman, is a podcast called It Came From The Depths of Netflix, wherein we watch the, we, we deliberately seek out one and two star movies that no one's ever heard of on Netflix. We watch it and then we discuss it afterwards. So um, we're, we're going to be launching our second episode very soon. So there's a plug for that. Um, and then I think it's not next week. It's the week after I'm going to be at Salt Lake City Fanex, um, that, that convention in Salt Lake City. Uh, myself, I'm going to be there. I think Matt Martin's also going to be there from, from the story group. And uh, we're just going to be doing a couple of panels. My, me and my good buddy uh, Tom Spina are going to do our cantina panel where we kind of look into the depths and dark corners of the Mos Eisley Cantina and find you all the weird things that we found through rare production photos and, and artwork and what have you. Uh, and then I'm also going to do a panel on the visual dictionary. So some of the stuff that I talked about here is going to be in that as well as visuals and, and examples of how this book comes together. And you also have another book coming up soon. It's the uh, propaganda book, too. That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm still I'm still writing captions for that. So um, it's coming together. And it's a very interesting take. It's it's being put together by the folks at Becker and Meyer, who I've worked with on numerous projects in the past. And what we've done is taken it from an in-universe perspective. So I am writing in the voice of, let's call him a art scholar in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> 
who <laughs> has been witness to the wars and is offering his particular, uh, you know, two cents about uh, what this art represents and when it came in the course of history. That sounds really cool. When do you know a time frame for when that's coming out? I, you know, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I don't even think it was technically announced. It just shows up on catalog pages, yeah. which, I think, which I think is how announcements work these days. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I mean, it is this year, I would hope, since I've been seeing page proofs and, well, not page proofs, but layouts. So <laughs> it's getting very close to being done. So I believe it's, a, it's, it's this year. Cool. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. And I no uh, hope you talk to you soon. All right. Well, you guys take care. Thanks. Thank you. So long. Bye-bye. We want to thank Pablo Hidalgo for uh, joining us on Tashi Station Radio today. Had a really good time and uh, got into some uh, really cool Lucasfilm uh, history there. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, you, you can't help but be a little jealous of how, you know, he got into working at Lucasfilm at just the right time. You know, um, I know him and a bunch of other guys who've written a lot of the books. They just kind of... It's the perfect time to like be a Star Wars fan and start your career out. <laughs> and you get to write about Star Wars for a living, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, and oh man, I am so excited for that propaganda book. Yeah, I know. That sounds really cool and you know, I, I can't I can't think here art scholar and not think Thrawn. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how they'll canonize Thrawn again. That'd certainly be one fascinating way to put it. Again, our thoughts are not canon. Do not pass that as fact. <laughs> it's not. Stop no. it. Stop it. All right, let's go ahead and sign off. This episode of Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by Her Universe and you, our Patreon subscribers. Hey, don't forget to also check out Western Reach's brand new podcast on the show, hosted by Megan and Saf, formerly of the Forcecast, now with us on the Tashi Station Network. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us with the handles Tashi underscore station. That is the official show account. You can find Nancy with Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. -E. On Facebook, we're the Tashi Station Network. We are available on the iTunes Store, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please do leave a review. You can find our columns and news at Tashi-Station.net. Thanks for listening to another episode. We'll catch you all next week. Bye. So long. podcast has been brought to you by Majestic Draft Productions and is the official podcast of TashiStation.net. All Star Wars names, music, and logos are property of their respective trademark and copyright holders. Tashi Station Radio is not endorsed by Lucasfilm or any division of the company. Now go pick up some power converters. Oh, 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 oh